Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Welcome, everyone. Once again, Last Stop Penn Station, Ian Riccoboni, Carrie Silky. Carrie, you made it home from from Tennessee. And uh, boy, what an adventure last week was. Good to see you, Ian. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was fun reliving those strange memories. I got some feedback. OK, I want to be a name dropper here. But even sure. our good friend Dalton Castle. Yeah, he uh, sent me a message and he says, you know, every one of these episodes could be like a mini movie, which is a good, which is a really nice compliment. Yeah. You know? So people, you know, I'm thinking people aren't enjoying them, uh, but uh, people are listening and uh, we're doing them whether they enjoy them or not. We enjoy them. We enjoy them. And there was a lot of twists and turns last week. I certainly had never heard that before, so it was all a surprise to me as it unfolded. And number one, I'm glad you're alive. Uh, number two, I'm glad that you had such caring parents to get you back home. And uh, sorry for your heartbreak, but I, th- I think things worked out in the end, probably best for everybody. Did, have you ever tried to find her on Facebook? Or I still can't figure out her last name. <laughs> I could ask some of my local friends. It wouldn't yeah. be that hard to do, but yeah. I haven't... Uh, haven't uh, gone that far, but uh, Chris, I hope you're doing well. There you go. And Kip, we mentioned Kip, my friend uh, who's out in oh, San Francisco yes. these days. Kip is doing well. Checked in with him. And, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, this is bringing people back together. It's very nice. So this week uh, we, were, uh, we were preparing the ROH draft, which we talked about. We hinted at some of the picks. I know the ROH Social team is getting some graphics and some video together. They're going to spruce it up and uh, and make that cool. So apologize for keeping people uh, on bated breath for that. But, Carrie, you were actually a guest officiant. You made some rulings during the draft. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be repeating what I said last week, but you want to see the draft for sure because it's interesting. And what it demonstrated to me was the wealth, the deep pool of talent that has gone through Ring of Honor from the beginning right up to this current moment. And uh, it's uh, when you hear these names coming out and also hearing or also not hearing some names. Yeah. And I don't want to give anything away. Sure. I mean, there was four four draftees, myself, Bobby, Todd and Caprice. And uh, that means there's 25 rounds. Only 100 folks could be selected. So we left some high profile names on the board. And some some uh, Ring of Honor champions. Yeah. Which is a, a few of them. Uh, and I'm not going to say who they were. You'll have to check out the draft. <laughs> it was exciting. We had to, to fill a uh, tag team roster and a women's roster as well. So it made some some difficult decisions indeed. Uh, before we get going with our podcast, did you happen to hear the ROH 
Gary Juster podcast? I did. And uh, I think there's a lot more meat on the bone with that Madison Square Garden story, too. So I'm going to I'm going to prod him a little bit when we see him. But that was wonderful. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and as much time as I've spent with Gary and I know you have, too, and we spend a lot of time at these shows doing nothing right. before the shows. <laughs> Uh, there was a, a wealth of stuff that I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin did a really good job interviewing him. Yeah, absolutely. It was good that Kevin was in the older. Uh, sorry, Kevin, but the older <laughs> the older age bracket. Yeah. There's probably some younger fans that might, unless you're interested in history, might have been a little bit uh, bored. But for me. And you being a bit of a historian, uh, mm -hmm. it was fascinating. It was amazing to hear about uh, Kevin Recall going to the shows in, in Baltimore and right. uh, being promoted by the WWF and Gary referencing, you know, going to AWA shows at a time when Nick Bockwinkle was the champion in Vern Gagne and uh, a lot of history there. And uh, that's a great one to check out. That's uh, the ROH Strong podcast. Kevin did a fantastic job. And, you know, I, I make no... Uh, Make no ill will toward Kevin when I said there's meat on the bone. I think there could be a, a volume two for Gary. Oh, absolutely. Just on the Madison Square Garden story. <laughs> Not only that, but there's got to be a ton of WCW stuff that they only just brushed over. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, that's always done with some time constraints in mind. So, well, uh, maybe that'll be our next project. We'll get we'll get well, Gary. We, in. We, could, we could have a podcast with <laughs> Ga about Gary with the the the. Uh, and I love you, Gary, but the infamous 2010 uh, when we did Charlotte for the first time at the old Jim Carnett and Gary thought it was a good idea for us to do the Grady Cole Center, hmm. which was this N small NWA building back in the day. It might have been a 3,000, 4,000 seater. And. Uh, Gary had do you remember what Gary said he had connections with this wealthy Mexican guy who helped him promote some Lucha Libre stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh, you don't know about this story. No, I know he drew a great house with the Lucha guys in. Well, North we Carolina. tried to repeat that yeah. <laughs> in North Carolina. This is Adam was booking. OK. Adam and Pierce. we had Blue Demon. Oh, wow. That was the night with that that. Uh, that what's the Exotico's name? Cassandra. Yes. Yeah. And uh, wow, I never knew Cassandra was in Ring of Honor. Yes, he, he sued me. Really? Wow. So we'll save okay. the rest for a future podcast. Wow. Between that and John Belushi, those are two. Uh, and then Ric Flair, those are three heavy we hitters. We may hit Ric Flair in the next few weeks at the, at the <laughs> cause we're, at, we're going into this time period. Wow. Okay. Wow. Cassandra and Ring of Honor. That's uh, that's something. Yeah. And I, I never, never knew that. And I, uh, the one that always sticks out for me from that era was the Norfolk Scope when the you ran the basement of the Norfolk Scope. That was Scope. after I sold the company. Okay. <laughs> I'm not taking responsibility for that. We, you, my, uh, uh, you know, the, we had certain criteria as why I owned the company about ceiling heights. Right. And, uh, you know, the aesthetics I have now are nothing like the aesthetics of Ring of Honor. Sure. But in the early days of Sinclair, and no one will be mad that I'm saying this, there right. was major growing pains. Right. And uh, a smaller budget, too. Right. Yeah. And uh, yes, so there, there's a couple of good stories there. So Yeah. If you haven't seen that one, that's on Honor Club. I believe it's uh, Southern Hostility or it's from 2010. 
2011. You can find that on our club. Uh, if you've ever been to a flea market and seen wrestling, or if you ever wonder just how far Ring of Honor has come, you don't got to look at 2002. Look at the event from Norfolk, Virginia in the basement of the Scope, and then watch Madison Square Garden. That's that's kind of... Uh, it shows you how far we've come even within the last 10 years. But we're talking about how far we've come, some growth. And uh, we got such a good response to last week's episode. We're just like the great Aerosmith song, The Train Kept a Rolling. We're going to we're just going to keep going. Uh, it was 1976 last well, time around or 75? 75-ish. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to keep this in, a, you know, the, this podcast and the next one or two in, in sort of a timeline. And if you're a rock and roll fan, um, particularly uh, an, an East Coast, Northern, older rock and roll fan, <laughs> you might really like this. If you're a rock and roll fan in general, you'll like these stories because they're rock and roll stories. Some of these names you're not going to know at all, but they were, uh, uh, I got involved with working with bands. And upon coming back after my trip, um, can I tell you exactly what I was doing? Yeah, I can. Hmm. Nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't very good at holding a normal job. I had done, the, you know, I had done the canvassing, the door to door stuff. Right. And Empire Industries came later. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of in between. And um, in my brief time at Union College Community School, um, I met a really good I, I made a really good friend, my friend Jeff. And uh, this was like one of the first dudes that I really had like a uh, uh, I really loved the guy. You know, he, he was really good looking dude. And uh, I don't did I, I, I lusted after him, but I also we had we were very close mm -hmm. and Jeff and I became good friends. And uh, the one thing we had in common were was that we were both uh, budding drug addicts. Oh, that took a turn. And uh, <laughs> Jeff dropped out of school. Also, he was a wannabe musician. OK. And um, he was a bass player. He wound up getting a, an apartment uh, in Cranford, and he and I, he had a girlfriend. Her name was Kathy, and she was mean. Mm. And she, she, like, he was really good looking guy. Um, and I'm trying to give you a comparison. It was almost like a Justin Bieber type. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, uh, this girl was not cut out. You know, she had like a pig face, like pig face oh, Stanley oh, snout. Oh, jeez. He, he, he and I used to call her Cato. You know, Cato from oh, the Green Hornet. Right, right. Wow. She was, she was mean. But uh, I guess she was paying the bills. Mm. So anyway, Jeff and I would hang out a lot. And um, I just want to say uh, these this episode, as well as the number of the future episodes, there's going to be a lot of references to uh, drugs, drug dealing, and uh, none of which I promote uh, to anybody to get involved with. Because as you'll hear in these episodes, 
it was a little bit of fun, but it was mainly trouble. Yeah. And the trouble started once I found my drug of choice, which hadn't been around. And before we went on, when you got here tonight, we were talking, you and myself and AJ, mm-hmm. and you were asking me about this cocaine boom. Yeah. When did when did cocaine? Because you hear about the 60s, you hear about LSD being, you know, experimented, Timothy Leary. You hear about marijuana kind of exploding and that 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 reefer madness coming back and the fear of, of pot in the 60s is mm-hmm. this gateway drug. Um, cocaine to me, just in my mind, I have no frame of reference. It, it just kind of appears as this this drug that's fueling these musicians and actors. And I think the John Lennon's and Elton John's and Rod Stewart's of the world, from what I read, mm-hmm. as well as the Neil Young's and this one and Leonard Cohn, and they, mm. they were hipper to it. Uh, and, you know, you always hear about it in jazz, okay. even going way back. But on a main street, on a main scale level, uh, it started growing in the 70s. Now, I graduated high school in 74. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, uh, including past graduating, which was the last episode when I went to visit Chris in Greenville, right. I hadn't discovered cocaine yet. And in thinking about it, I remembered who and he, He's one of our beloved characters from a couple episodes ago. Oh, really? The first person who uh, I obtained cocaine, or I did cocaine with, was the great Joe Aarons, who was oh. frozen <laughs> stiff oh, in my backyard. Wow. After um, after my New Year's Eve party. And if you hadn't heard that, ep- <laughs> by the way, this is our 20th episode. Yeah. If, if you haven't heard that, that's episode 18 or it's season two, episode four, I believe. Mm-hmm. But my friend Gary, Gary Fennell, uh, he calls me up and says, hey, uh, um, you want to do some Coke? Joe Aarons has some Coke. And I'm like, ooh, you know, sure. Why not? Right. And. I can't really even remember anything about that particular time, but Jeff, Jeff, my my dear friend Jeff, sort of along the same timeline, he had some people that could get cocaine, and when I was saying I was doing nothing, the only thing I was doing to try to make some money was to, you know, do some minor drug hustling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, buying buying some weed. And this, uh, uh, Jeff knew some guys that could get cocaine and get uh, substantial, when I say substantial amounts, we're talking like, you know, ooh, a quarter ounce. And, you know, the idea would be to get a quarter ounce and you'll make it into, you know, you'll cut it a little and make it into, you know, seven grams becomes 10. You know, you take uh, the, you, know, you take some good shit for yourself and you're going to sell the rest and get all the money back and even make money. But that would never happen. OK, because if you like cocaine, you're going to be your own best customer. OK, and question. Yes, I've heard cocaine 
when people talk about cocaine, there's there's famous anecdotes of, oh, that's the that's the one drug you don't get addicted to. Now, you, you just mentioned that if you if you did cocaine, that you were or, or tried to sell cocaine, you, you were likely to dip into your own stash. Is, uh, well, the only way to be a successful cocaine dealer, besides the fact of, you know, the possibility of, of legal action of mm -hmm. uh, successful dealer fi financially is if you didn't do it at all. Interesting. If okay. you did it at all, you were done. Yeah. And. Back then, '76, it was it was starting. It was coming out of the closet as a really cool drug. Don't forget the uh, the Studio Fifty Four disco. The disco era was 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 happening. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not Studio Fifty Four yet, but the disco era was happening. The Saturday Night Fever era was happening. Right. And the rock and roll era was happening. And it they were all fueled by cocaine. Now, were there other drugs, you know, uh, heroin and uh, psychedelics? Of course. And what about amphetamines? The baseball players used, oh, yeah. to, used to do the oh, pop yeah. greenies. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I could... I could load you up with, <laughs> with stories about all of them. Um, let's not forget the famous quaaludes. Quaaludes, oh, which geez. aren't even made anymore. Thank goodness. Yeah, these yeah. things. They they were. Uh, you only get the finest information on this podcast. <laughs> well, this is important to document because we're we're talking about some of the the things that you did. We're talking about the consequences. And uh, yeah, and we're showing that it's a balance. You'll have fun, but then the bottom falls out and it's almost without fail. Right. Our producer, AJ, could vouch for this also. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. We don't want AJ to say. Nah, he's all right with it. Um, but um, yeah, uh, so within my story, within my story of these bands, all of these things will be touched on. Um, my cousin Mike, who's working on the memoirs, yeah, yeah, he too is a long time. Besides being a writer, mm -hmm. and besides being the long time uh, Aquarian slash East Coast rocker uh, editor, where he got to meet everybody from Bruce to, I mean, like guys like uh, guys like Southside Johnny and these uh, these New Jersey guys were like yeah. they were buddy buddy with him because they wanted to, you know. Uh, they wanted the press. Right. But the Aquarian newspaper, they advertised all the clubs, like all the clubs that were around. It was such a different scene. And I'll get to that. But Mike was an aspiring musician. Mm -hmm. And he's still, he's, he's, he's a good singer. He still doesn't, his karaoke, I'm going to forget now, his karaoke, uh, Oh, what's that great Otis Redding? Sitting uh, on the back of the bay? No, no. there's a real knockout. Um, Hard to handle? Yeah, he'll do all those. Um, but uh, I I'll get to it. He's going to be mad when he hears this. <laughs> we don't do any research. You know that. But Mike had been in some bands. He had a band like in high school called the Rock Garden. Okay. And they played little high school gigs mm -hmm. and this and that. Well, Mike got to know my friend Jeff, who was another aspiring, and he was a, he was a bass player. And Jeff's the hunk, right? To Jeff's keep, the hunk. Okay, all right. And uh, so Mike had some other friends, so they decided, ooh, let's, with Jeff's idea, let, let's uh, let's have a, you know, a little band, like a four-piece band. Cool. And it was the Mike G band. Oh. Thus, they needed somebody 
to schlep the equipment, to be the so-called roadie. And whenever I would go to shows, you know, I, seeing so many good shows, which we've we've referenced previously in that my, that early period, 73, 74, 75, which in, and now we're talking about 76, but between 73 and 76, you know, I'd seen Wings Over America. Mm-hmm. I'd seen uh, Song Remains the Same tour. I'd I'd seen uh, the Dead and and uh, you know Yes and the Who do Quadrophenia wow. and Todd Rundgren yeah. and seeing Genesis with Peter Gabriel. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. And you know I was really attracted to the visuals. You okay. know and seeing which bands. You know you could even see at that stage of the game. You know lighting was was still evolving. Um, mm. By the way, you know the first band. A tree question here. We're jumping a sure. You know the, the you know you, when you go to a show now, you see, I mean, a, a non-club show, but you go to every all these bands have the moving lights, right? Right. You know the first when they came out and who the first one? Who? Uh, it okay. was nineteen eighty, by the way. Nineteen eighty. Uh, Rush. Good guess. And we're gonna have some Rush stories. Yeah. In here. <laughs> okay. But uh, it was it was Genesis. Okay. Post. Gabriel? Yeah, but they were good. Mm-hmm. Phil Collins, you know, gets a bad rep. They He, he stepped up to the plate, you know, uh, vocally and <clears throat> on drums. And they had a second drummer, this guy, Chester Thompson. But wow. they had, uh, they were the first band. They didn't invent them, but someone behind it within their world invented what they call the very light. Okay. So now, instead of a light, being a light and a colored gel. So when I would go to see Jethro Tull or Led Zeppelin, if you wanted the stage all blue, you had to have 30, 30 lamps with the blue gel. Gotcha. And then, in the, you know, so depending on how many, uh, how big a show you wanted, uh, and so this made, instead of having a, uh, if you needed, if you wanted a good blue wash, mm-hmm. you would need thirty lamps with blue gels. A good green wash, thirty lamps orange, so on and so forth. Well, now the very light was one lamp could have all these various colors oh, wow. and diaphragms of of uh, and and we use them in Ring of Honor. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I brought them to Ring of Honor back uh, back in two thousand and four ish. Wow. That's another story for another time. But with the Mike G band. So we didn't get very, it didn't have very many prestigious gigs or hardly any gigs at all. Yeah. And I had an idea. I go, well, we should have some lighting, right? And I, I got the most basic, uh, God, you know, like the, uh, the clip the silver okay. like you would use for yeah. outside yeah, right. in the backyard. Kind of like a, a lesser floodlight. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they had they had colored bulbs. Okay. You know, so it was enough. You know, you have uh, uh, two red bulbs on the side of the stage and then two greens. Yeah. And it, the blue is always hard to get the color. So maybe you need four blues. So I, I knew how to replicate it. And then a few in the front for a little spotlight. And I needed a little board. Okay. to run it. And Jeff's father uh, put together this little makeshift lighting board. Uh, and 
there I was in, in the lighting game <laughs> with the Mike G band, nice. which didn't last very long. No. And um, when it dissolved, so now we're talking like early 76. Well, I got to ask you, that's right around when, when all the Jersey bands were popping. I mean, Springsteen already had Born to Run, and that's when right. Southside Johnny's first album came out. Gary U.S. Bonds comes to the Jersey Shore, and he starts to get ready for his comeback. Were, you, were they playing any of the the major clubs like the Stone Pony, anything no. like that? Okay. <laughs> Mike G. Band was relegated. You know, there, there were certain booking agents mm-hmm. back then. And um, the Mike G. Band was, uh, the music wasn't that bad, but it, it, it was, you know, uh, grade grade C. Okay. <laughs> so we would get these, these little shitholes. But uh, the music was good, was okay, and it was fun, and it was introduction. So when it dissolved, Jeff Jeff's love was like Bowie and uh, the glitter scene, okay, which T-Rex. already had passed. Yeah, you know, like we're talking Mott the Hoople, sure, sure, <laughs> and Lou Reed and Bowie and. Uh, T-Rex. Thank you. Thank you. And so you're talking like, uh, yeah, of course, Bowie's career spanned many years past this. Sure. But that boom scene was like 70, 71. Right. right? So Jeff answers this ad. And there were these other guys that had the same idea. And they wanted to have this glitter type band. There was a, a now most of the bands that were playing the legitimate club circuit above the Mike Green Band status. Um, it was 90, 97% copy bands. Okay. And that's what people went out to see. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of uh, great original acts that some old timers would know these names. And you could look them up and they're on YouTube. Uh, and here's some of the, there was a band called Another Pretty Face. Okay. There was a guy, T. Roth. And he could have been the next Bowie. Wow. This guy was good. And there was a there was a band called the Good Rats, mm. which was they were just smart. They were like, uh, I don't want to say they were comedy, they but they were just uh it was interesting original music. Mm-hmm. Leave it at that. Yeah. And there was another band, non-original, it was a band called Rat Race Choir, that you would go see them and they would play in quad. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they would, you know, you might go see Rat Race Choir and like the first set is Dark Side of the Moon. Hmm. Right. And they were good. But anyway, Jeff gets this audition with these guys and they had this band was so shitty. Um, (laughs) But we thought we thought we thought it was great. We go to this audition. It was in Dover, New Jersey. Oh, isn't that the, the site of the wrestler? Well, the same, yeah, it was the same same city city that that we filmed the rest of And, uh, oh, God, the the, the front man was this guy, Richie, who was a very, he was was somewhat effeminate dude. And he fancied himself not to be the next Bowie, but to be the next T. Roth. Like, that's how popular Uh this New Jersey-based Another Pretty Face was. We even did a... And the drummer was subpar. This guy, I remember this guy, Kurt. And I remember the keyboard player, the uh, guitar player, Michael. 
and it was a ragtag bunch. And they realized to pull these songs off, and it was going to be these, you named all the... Yeah, all, all, Metal Guru, Bang right, Gong. <laughs> right, you named them all. Ziggy Stardust. And uh, to pull this off, they're going to need a keyboard player, okay, to make this sound right. Well, yeah, Mata Hupo, David Bowie, they all had keyboardists. New York Dolls. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we found a keyboard player. There was this guy, and this guy comes to this this rehearsal spot that we had, and this dude shows up. Now, I'm 20 years old. The guys in the band ranged from probably 20 to maybe Richie the singer was 26, 27, whatever, not very old. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy who shows up, this guy, Charlie Starr, and he rides, on, he comes driving on a motorcycle and he's got a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. A keyboard strapped to his back, like wow. a synthesizer. So it was like a, nice. it was early, one of these early multi, uh, multi sound. You know, it could be a piano. Yeah. It could be give you the B three organ sound. Yeah, not very well. Right, but, <laughs> right. And Charlie Starr shows up, and he was he was okay, mm-hmm. but there were some problems with him. One thing was, well. The guy was was butt ugly. Butt ugly would be would be, <laughs> would be a high rating. Oh, not to mention not Charlie. having not having any teeth. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Another twist the twists and turns of it. Wow. Not to mention drugged out. Oh. Uh like I'd never, I didn't, we didn't know what to make of it, wow. but we thought he was good. <laughs> so he was hired and there was a number of gigs with Virgin. Oh, and the band name of the band. I didn't even tell no, you. No, no. What's it was the name of the band. Virgin. Okay. Well, like the was one name bands were, that was kind of a thing like yes and rush and, and uh, right. Yeah. One gig we had, was out by um oh god it was out towards the lancaster area oh nice it was like a two-nighter and the guy that owned the club you know this is like 1976 he wouldn't put the name he goes i'm not putting goes, <laughs> i'm not putting virgin up on 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 the side that closed me down he put verge <laughs> right so charlie star Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is where the story starts to take a turn. That's, well, that's my intuition yeah, here. It, 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 if you, there's turns, all right. Um, we got to, Jeff and I got to know Charlie because he had lots of drugs. Mm. And now we're getting introduced. You, you, we mentioned all these uh, you know, mentioned, uh, heroin and quaaludes and, and, yeah. and you, you mentioned the amphetamines. Yeah. Well, I'd never been introduced till I met Charlie Starr to uh, Angel Dust. Oh, geez. PCP. Wow. These are basically like animal tranquilizer. These are like these. Ex- when I say exotic party drugs, that's like really putting them on a high level. Right. I mean, you did this stuff and. You got so fucking high that anything could happen. 
And they were also, oh yeah, there's another thing about Charlie Starr I didn't tell you. He was hard, although he was butt ugly, toothless, uh, he was balding at like 30 years old. His hair was always greasy. He was stone gay, but he was masculine. Okay. But he was, he was gay, Mm. right? And I remember him coming hanging out with me and Jeff. Jeff's girlfriend, Kato, wasn't around. And he turns us on to this angel dust stuff. It would go under all kinds of names, Ian. Some people people will hear this and go, oh, they're talking about KW, killer weed. Oh, Mm -hmm. they're talking about PCP. So we got so high that it allowed Charlie Starr to have his way with us sexually. Oh, no. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sorry to hear that, Gary. <laughs> you didn't even care. You were that high. You know, you, Jeez. You, you, you wouldn't care. It was, yeah, and it's like, wow. yeah, you, you just got so zoned out. Jeez. And then, then we realized what was going on. It's like, oh, whatever. You okay. Know? Yeah. How do you how do you even get to a place? So I, we've talked about this. I've never never done drugs. And just never. Um, Except alcohol. Yes, I, I do drink alcohol. Um, how do you get to a place where you decide the, that that's a risk you want to take? And and do you even know? Have, has anything led you up to that point where you're going to take something where it? You don't know what you're just okay with not knowing what's going to happen. You just go me personally. I was just on this cycle, you know, first it was beer. Mm -hmm. Then it was weed. Then it was, you know, then we got hash. Then it was we did some LSD, you Mm -hmm. know, tripping. And it was just this progression. Yeah. So the uh, the KW. The angel dust, the PCP, this was like, sorry to use this word, but it was like romantic almost to, to you know, oh, thought geez. of doing it. And uh, after that incident, mm-hmm. the, he had this, this, I remember this, his little side note. It's a little business note we're going to throw in. Sure. The shit was so, AJ, the shit was so strong. He sold me and Jeff. Uh, an eighth of an ounce of this stuff. It's like 200 bucks. Oh, and that's three and a half grams. Wait. Yeah. And it was so strong. It was the same stuff that he had. We had this, this, the sex incident on. It was so strong that Jeff and I realized we can't, if we sell this, we'd have to be selling so little of it. Like if, if you sold a ten dollar package of it, you'd be so little of it because you'd be you'd be hurting, you know. Yeah. So what we did was we turned three and a half grams into like twenty grams, and it was still unbelievably good. So the shit was the shit was crazy. People were begging us for it. Wow. Right, and it's like so it's, it's that it's that addictive. It, no, you know, it, it was it was. It, it, a $10, our $10 bag, once we cut it, which you got to understand, we're, we're diluting it times like seven. 
Right. This is the uh, this is the Empire Industries model. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. We're diluting this time seven. Holy so now when crap. the people got the ten dollar bag, at least it looked like there was something there. Yeah. Because the active ingredient, all you needed was like a little speck of this Holy shit. Holy crap. Right. And, and anyway. You're lucky you're not dead. I'm lucky I'm not dead. Yeah. And that stuff makes you crazy. Oh, And geez. there was some bad, you know, if, if you thought the scene was bad with. Uh, that I just described. Yeah. I mean, the stuff was dangerous. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. And um, yeah, so <laughs> Charlie, he wound up getting in trouble. Uh, he he had a, whatever. He he was in over his head. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would. Uh, that was going to be my guess. <laughs> oh and my like God. I remember going to his house, like yeah. where he lived. He lived like in Edison, New Jersey, and it was like the first time. I mean, I'd seen some crazy shit at twenty years old, but these these people he was hanging out with were some really weird cats. Yeah. Like these people that were, you know, into this stuff. And uh, it's sort of, it's just the way it was. You just accepted, if you're going to be in that world, you just have to accept the world you're in. Now, was that, was that the, all the rock and roll scene? Was that, was there publicity about, you know, folks doing this. I know I've seen things with John Lennon, for instance, talking about marijuana and different. And I, I you hear artists and, and musicians talk about marijuana other than the Eric Clapton song Cocaine. I, I don't really have a great frame of reference. Was this something that was made popular or was there a, a rap that, hey, if you do this, you might get inspiration and. What that, the uh, the PCP? Oh, well, well, anything, but specifically the PC the PCP seems to come out of left field. It was it was around. Wow! It was around. I know guys like my friend Dustin, who's fifteen years younger than me. Mm -hmm. When he, he moved to Brooklyn with his father from Michigan, and we're talking about the early eighties, it was like still you know it had a certain. There were certain areas because so yeah. little of it is so cheap. Wow. Could get you so high. Yeah. You know, not a good drug. No, no. And, uh, not a good drug. Sounds sounds dangerous. You lose all control. You lose all control. Oh. And uh, it wasn't a good drug. And uh, the band Virgin didn't have a long shelf life. But a couple, there's a couple interesting intersections. Um and if people follow our podcast, you know, on one of our gigs, I think it was our second, one of our, I don't know what gig it was. It was an early gig and it was up in, in Hamburg, New Jersey, you okay. know, like all the way up like Route 23 near the New York border. Right. And you're suffering and right. near Oakland, New Jersey. There was yeah. this club called The Hound and the Hare. Okay. And we were there for a two night Wilbur, two night stand. <laughs> was this common to book cover bands for two nights? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, you know, that area is sort of remote and sure. people would drive in. And that's where I met. And this is 1976. That's where I met the girl, Debbie, the one who had me come to New Orleans to save my oh. ass from another. Yeah. So 10 years later. Wow. But I met her at one of those shows. No way. Yeah. Wow. OK. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
There was that other memorable gig where they would only put up the VIRG sign. And there weren't many other gigs. I remember playing in New Brunswick. There were so many clubs that you would have loved it. Yeah. And AJ would have loved it. There were so many clubs between New Jersey, Pennsylvania, particularly Jersey, Long Island. Um, New York City was uh, original music. There yeah. was like one or two clubs that would have cover music. They mm. don't want no cover music. Yeah. But Jersey, <clears throat> Route 35, are you familiar with Route 35? Yeah. Was loaded with clubs. And the Jersey, of course, Asbury, obviously. Right. And the Jersey Shore going down. I could start naming them. Baby O's in Seaside, the headliner in, in Point Pleasant, the Osprey in Manasquan, um, and then all over Jersey. But we were at a club whose name I cannot remember at this time, a virgin show, and it was like nine o'clock, and where's Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like four degrees out. Oh, no. And well, like, well, we got, we're going to have to go on yeah. you know, without the keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was people there. And uh, he showed up at the 11th hour motorcycle. Wow. In like, <laughs> in like four degree degree weather, weather oh. with keyboard. Oh, yeah. And they, they after a couple of shows, the guy, Richie, the singer, he, 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 you know, it was so dated what they wanted to do. He wanted everyone in the band to wear like eye makeup. Now oh, to wow. put Charlie Starr. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Sounds like Chris Colt, the great wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, this guy was a bad looking Chris Colt. Ah. But um, that was my, uh, my, my virgin story uh, and my Charlie Starr story. And the, I think the band lasted, this is just like spring of 76. And we were done by probably the summer of 76. Wow. And in the summer of 76, I, I made, we made this incredible discovery. And there was... As I was saying, there were clubs everywhere. In, in Warren, New Jersey, there was this club called Julio's. Mm -hmm. There was also a Julio's South in Asbury Park in its heyday. Oh, wow. Right? And there was, oh, God, some of my friends. I, I called one of my friends up to get some references. There were, there just were clubs all over. Now, why were there so many clubs? And why was there so much popularity with these cover bands? Number one was the drinking age was 18. Right. Everywhere. Everywhere. And number two was the drunken driving laws and drug enforcement laws, except for New York, some part like Rockefeller put in some kind of laws in like the 70s. It was mainly geared for New York City, mm. but it spread out to the suburbs with harsher penalties. But in these other states... They didn't give a shit, you know, and so people would just be driving, uh, drinking and driving, drugging and driving. Oh man, eighteen year old, you know, and yeah. Oh, and, but and and so at Julio's in Warrenville, you know who the doorman was? No, you do know, Gary but I Jester? didn't tell you yet. <laughs> oh. Alan Coeg. 
Oh, Bad News Brown. That's right. Wow. And he, yes, okay. now, this is pre his, he had had his Olympic judo 72, yeah. career and he was the doorman. Wow. And I remember it. I swear to you, I remember it. I got to know him because he's good Julius all the time. Yeah. Just say, hey, how you doing? And somehow I got to know that he was a martial arts guy. And I said to him, hey, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. He's like, ah, that's a bunch of bullshit, he'd that be, stuff. He'd be in the garden right? about a year and a half yeah. later. Yeah, and making his debut. So, <laughs> Julio's. We, um, there were, the, so, the, so anyway, oh yeah, was, so between the Long Island scene, the New Jersey scene, bleeding into Pennsylvania, uh, there were just clubs on top of clubs on top of clubs and seven nights a week. Wow. And there were good bands, um, not Virgin. <laughs> and, you know, these bands that I'm going to name, only someone my age who lived around there are going to know. But uh, I mentioned Rowry's Choir. I mentioned another pretty, uh, another pretty face. There was this band, Fosse, with this chick up front. Uh, there was this, who was good. Uh, this is when Hart was first coming out and yeah. she would do Joplin. And there was this band, Kinderhook Creek, that specialized in the Almond Brothers and the dead and, you know, uh, the, the, the country rock of the time, the Marshall Tuckers and so on and so forth. And uh, many, many others. And there were some heavy metal acts, of course. Um, but they would advertise in the East Coast Rocker okay. the paper, and they would have ads on the radio also. There was, where I lived, there was WPLJ, mm -hmm. which I think still exists. Yeah. And there was WNEWFM, which was the, uh, more of the, pro, more of the freeform rock station. Right. But anyway, we hear an ad for, for Julio's with their week's lineup. And, they they said that on Monday night, this coming Monday at Julio's, they they announced it like it was a a, a wrestling promo or a horror movie. <laughs> Joe Savage and his band Wizard appearing this Monday, one night only. See Joe Savage and his twenty foot python snake at Julio's Tuesday night, Kinderhood Creek. Wednesday night, another pretty face. This this Thursday, blah blah blah. Saturday, Rat Race Choir, you know. Anyway, so we're like 20 foot pipes. So we're thinking Alice Cooper. Sure. Right. Yeah. So Jeff and I went and I think my friend Gary Finnell, we went to Julio's. So this is going to be goofy. but let, And it's the worst night, Monday night. Yeah. And we go to this show. Um, and uh, this band comes out and two horn players, which was unusual. Sure. Uh, trombone and sax, or mm -hmm. trombone and trumpet, bone and trumpet maybe. And uh, great keyboard player, this drummer, Matt Apps, who still plays with Government Mule. Oh, wow. Okay. To this day. Okay. This guitar player, well, I got to work with these guys. This side on there. The guitar player, this guy, Charlie Higgs, I don't know what happened to him. These guys were all not, and then there's Joe Savage, but mm -hmm. I'll get to him. Yeah. So, <laughs> They come out without Joe Savage and they do the first set and they're doing every, everything from uh, from like, yes, to Deep Purple, 
to uh, Marvin Gaye, hmm. to, you know, a real variety, to, to Todd Rundgren, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a complete variety. And they're really, really good. To Chicago. Wow. You know, they had the horns. Yeah. But, you know, really tasty shit. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the first set, I remember the guitar players, we'll be back in the second set with Joe Savage, stay around. It was Joe Savage and Wizard. And we're like, We've never seen anyone at one of these clubs who gets like an introduction <laughs> as, as, you know, like a, a, yeah. a special celebrity. And um, so naturally we stayed. And I wish there was footage of what I'm going to try to tell you about, because no matter what I say, I can't do this any justice. Wow. Um, but... The second set started and I but between sets, I'm, I'm not really paying that much attention, but between sets in the front of the stage, they put some kind of table, large table. I see some kind of satanic or or, or ritualistic kind of art and um it's eventually covered up with like a, a black tarp. Okay. So Joe Savage comes out. They they introduce him. I'm going to pull You're a good one hit wonder guy. You, yeah. you, you know what he used to open with a lot of times? You know the Ozark Mountain Daredevils if you want to get to heaven? Yes. Yeah. That, he used to, they used to open with that a lot of times. Wow, okay. And it played into the whole show that he did. They used to, they, they would do, if you want to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Into locomotive breath. Okay. W- with the horns. Wow. You know, with, with, you know, with the right? Yeah. And it was really good. Well, it did three or four songs, and like, what the fuck is this table? <laughs> yeah, where's the python? Right? Yeah. And where's this snake? Yeah. <laughs> and they would go into a I wish I had the set list. It, it might exist somewhere. They would go into a series of very upbeat things that sort of we were sort of like looking at each other like they would do like Joy to the World oh, by okay. Three Dog yeah. Night. And maybe Grand Funk or something like, something uh, like that. And the, these um, very cheery kind of upbeat sort of out of character things. And all of a sudden, and they had a lighting guy, and all of a sudden... The horn, the horn players in the in the middle. Let's just say for this podcast sake, "Joy to the World" was the fourth one they're doing. You know, they're doing "Joy to the World." <laughs> oh, the boy, right? And we're like rolling our eyes. Yeah. All of a sudden, after like the uh, this, the third verse, the horn players start just start like a car wreck style, oh. and the lights sort of go down, and Joe Savage turns around. And you don't know what he's doing. And there's all this very odd sounds going on, like horror movie style. And he's down on the ground. You can't see what he's doing. And what he's doing is he's taking white and black face paint. And he was bald. I have some pictures of him. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he covers he covers his face. Wow. So when he turns around, yeah. he's like this other character. Hmm. And they would do a series of songs. Here's another one hit one. I wish I had the whole list. Remember the great Arthur Brown? I am the God of Hell's Fire <laughs> yeah. and I bring you, right? Yeah. So they would do these songs that were now dark 
And, you know, uh, no, Alice, he made sure not to do Alice Cooper. Okay. They were dark <laughs> and uh, the opposites of joy to the world. Yeah. And eventually, and the, 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 the table, when, it would, when he would pull the cloth off, uh, there were these, once again, these spiritual, evil kind of looking things. And we, at that point, were like, we weren't like, oh, this is goofy. We were like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? And they had some flash pots, which were like, oh, the, yeah. You know, so there was a point where there was the explosions, mm -hmm. probably completely illegal, violating all <laughs> club standards. Right. right. But they worked. And the grand finale, if th this whole set, this whole second set was probably 45 minutes. So this little show was probably the last 20 minutes. And the last part was the snake. And I forget what song. I mean, I saw it probably dozens and dozens of times, as I will tell you. But the last part was with the snake. And he would have the place in fucking, when I say in hysterics, I'm not yeah. talking about comical. Yeah. People were scared. And it was just, he looked so bizarre. And he would get on, if there was a bar, you know, he's on a stage, he would walk out with the snake. Wow. And, you know, it was like, it would be like Bruiser Brody running through the crowd at Corrigan Hall. Or, you know, and eventually he'd make it back to the stage. Yeah. And put the snake down. And the music would just be like, da, na, 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 na. Wow. And the snake's down, and Joe Savage would just turn around and just smile at the people. And that would break the crowd up, right? And his, his, then he went into his little, his little spiel. And he, he had a one-liner uh, of like, oh, you thought I was something like, oh, you thought I was a little bit weird, huh? And he broke, the, he, he loosened the people up as, listen, all we wanted to do tonight was give you guys some entertainment. We wanted to take you out of the darkness of the of the, some of that darkness of the world that's outside often into the light of the world inside. And if we did that, even if it was just for a minute or even just a few seconds, we did our job. And we hope you come back and see us. And everybody, you have a good night. And the band would play, go into their whatever the, the walk off song was, which uh, I forget. And uh, we were just stunned. Yeah, we were blown away. There was nothing hokey. There was the band was so good, and he was so he sold so well. Yeah, and he was so convincing, and we were like astounded, and we wanted to talk to these because like, wow, you know, I mean, I, and he was coming back to Julio's the next week, so we got to talk eventually. His brother, Joe's brother, Michael, was the sound man. And the lighting guy was this guy, Eddie. Now, they were used to doing full week gigs. Like, they didn't play the Northeast because you had to do one or two nighters. They would play, like, across the country in oh, wow. these one, one or two week stands. And uh, what they had done, as we later found out the next week, was they had booked the entire summer to play New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania for one-nighters. Wow. Now they were not used, they were they didn't have the manpower to do the break, you know, between Mike, his brother, and Eddie, the lighting guy. Yeah. 
and and the guys in the band didn't want to be roadies. They right. they were when if they were going city to city in a week. Mm-hmm. So they needed some people to help. Mm-hmm. So they hired myself and Jeff and my friend Gary at like at like a and well paid too, like seventy five dollars a week. Wow! <laughs> but we could get to work for Joe Savage, and just help out. Yeah. And um, I did the whole summer. You know, we're doing we're doing these gigs around. You know, and uh, Asbury. You know, the whole Jersey circuit, including mm-hmm. Asbury Park. Yeah. And um, Asbury Park was so happening then. You had. The Stone Pony. Mm-hmm. You had that aforementioned Julio South. That's where we used to play because he played Julio's North, Julio South. Yeah. There was a place called the Fast Lane. Mm-hmm. There was DJs. Okay. I think it's another thing. And then you had the convention center. Right. Which had rock and roll and the casino pier mm-hmm. that had rock and roll. And I like there were nights where um, Nazareth <laughs> and the and uh James Gang are at the Casino Pier and Joe Cocker's wow. at, at the convention center. And, you know, then the next night, it's Deep Purple at the Casino Pier and uh, Stevie Wonder <laughs> at the convention, you know, at, at the Paramount. And um, so when the summer was coming to an end, they were going back on the road. Mm-hmm. And um, which which at that point, they didn't really need us. Mm. But um, how are we doing with time here, AJ? I th- we're at about an hour right now. So this, All right, this so, is probably a good spot to tie yeah, a bow on. So uh, we, we, I'm going to we'll we'll uh, we'll take a break. The, there was one gig before before we went back on the road before we had possibly go on the road. Uh, they did a, a two-nighter in New York City on 8th Street. Oh, wow. There was a club on it's, 8th Street. It's not really, there anymore. I, I was going to say. It was a, right, a you know where Electric Lady Studios is? Uh, yes. 6th yes. Avenue yes. between 8th and McDougal. Yes, yes, yes. Down the street from that, mm-hmm. there was a club. Uh, and it's funny, he didn't really draw well there, but we'll talk about that on our next episode. I hope I didn't bore everyone no, to death no, with no. this. Your introduction to rock and roll, into drugs, into hard drugs. Did he, did, uh, was Joe Savage a, a drug guy? No. No. Oh, that's interesting. But so, everybody else was. Oh, so did this, did your association continue your habits? Continue yes. Your, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it was, you know, this, now, now you got sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And these guys were like rock stars at these clubs. Yeah. Uh, Joe Joe was older. Um, you know, the, the guys in the band probably ranged from their mid-20s to 30. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe was probably his late 30s, maybe. Wow. 40, okay. maybe. And uh, yeah, um, everybody in the band partied. They weren't degenerate. There was a... We're gonna get in, we're gonna we're gonna get in, uh, into that in the second in our next part. I didn't think we'd get to two parts of Joe Savage, yeah. but uh, he's an interesting cat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is uh, this has certainly been a lesson for me as somebody that abstains from the uh, the, the party lifestyle. Oh, you Learned. ain't heard nothing no. yet. <laughs>
I don't know if I want to hear it. It's the no, scariest. Nothing. Hey, horror movies are nothing compared. I, I can't even imagine losing my losing control of my faculties like that. You know. And well, make sure you subscribe to Last Stop Penn Station, please. Uh, go on Pro Wrestling Tees. Honor us by buying yes. a T-shirt. Uh, check out ring of honor please yeah. we got so much good stuff coming up a lot of great happening stuff right now on the youtube channel uh we've been doing uh, we've been doing game shows we've been doing uh role-playing games with quinn mckay she's been doing the great week by week uh items uh top five list with brian zane uh you name it it's on there and and there's some murmurs there's some rumblings carrie i don't want to spoil some things but uh it, it feels like the engine's about to roar back up in terms of ring of honor that'd be awesome that'd be really really cool so i know we're hoping for that i know our fingers are crossed and uh next time more joe savage as carrie dives deeper into the world of sex drugs and rock and roll hey. if that doesn't make you want to hear more <laughs> about <the laughs> and i'm fr- i'm frightened <laughs> i can't imagine wow Okay, I, I'm going to be doing this white knuckled next okay. episode. <laughs> and, well, this has been a, a great episode of learning experience for myself. And uh, Carrie, thanks as always for sharing your stories. For Carrie Silk and I'm Ian Rekabani. Happy wrestling. We'll catch you next week on Last Stop Penn Station. We hail you for listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppenstation.com.